Wow, that is so great. And somehow all that matters is who God is and what he can do in our lives. And that's one of the, one of the many things I take away from that song. Talking about authenticity, looking beyond or getting beyond just looking good. We live in a culture, and you know this, where we put a lot of emphasis on the externals. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with looking good. However, sometimes we put such a strong emphasis upon that 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 we forget what's really important. In many cases, just get diverted and start, start becoming people that we really weren't meant to be. Interesting story. I don't know if you've been following, if you've seen this in the news or not, but um, it just so illustrates what I'm talking about this morning. The name of it, this is from um, the smokinggun.com website, Uh, The Man Who Conned Oprah. If you've read about this, and it's very interesting, Oprah Winfrey's been had three months ago in what the talk show host termed a radical departure. She announced that a million little pieces author, James Fry, nonfiction memoir of his vomit-caked years as an alcoholic, drug addict, and criminal was her latest selection for the world's most powerful book club, which it is. Um, October 26th show entitled The Man Who Kept Oprah Awake All Night. Winfrey hailed Fry's graphic and coarse book as like nothing you've ever read before. She said, everybody here, Harpo, her company, is reading it. When we were staying up at night, we were reading it late at night, coming in the next morning asking, what page are you on? goes on, testimonials of what he did and all the terrible things that he did and what a horrible person he was and, and the redemptive side of that, which, of course, is what sold the book. However, a six-week investigation by the smokinggun.com reveals that there may be a lot less to love about Fry, the author's runaway hit, which has sold more than 3.5 million copies and, thanks to Winfrey, has sat atop the New York Times nonfiction paperback bestseller list for the past 15 weeks. Police reports, court records, interviews with law enforcement personnel, and and the other sources have put the lie to many key section of Fry's book. The 36-year-old author, these documents, and this interview show wholly, wholly fabricated or wildly embellished details of his purported criminal career, his jail terms, and his status as an outlaw, where he was wanted in three years. It's It's all fake, basically. And I, you know, I, I, one of the things that reminded me of was back when I was in school and we were, uh, and I was studying for the ministry, and, and uh, sometimes we would, in irreverent moments, make up some great testimony about how bad we were, you know, as people, and you would just fabricate it and say, "Well, I did this and I did this," and it was up to the point where we were just trying to entertain each other, uh, and you know, I, you know, I did drugs and then I turned nine years old, you know, the whole thing, and and. Um, <laughs> And, and, and it's, it's almost like that. But here's the other thought I had when I, when I saw that story, and that is this. Suppose you are one of those, maybe we, we have some here, maybe you're one of those people who read that book, and from what I, I haven't seen the book, but from what I have heard, it brings tears. I mean, it just, you're just, just emotionally wrapped up in this thing. Suppose you're one of those people reading this, and then all of a sudden you find out it's just one lie after another after another. You're going to feel cheated. You're going to be like, no, that's, that's, just, that's, just, that's just, that's wrong. You know, in many ways, that's why I want to talk about authenticity. Sometimes those who are closest to us can put on airs, can, can act a certain way, 
cannot tell certain things about themselves, and then all of a sudden we feel cheated because we never really knew the authentic person there. And sometimes in a marriage, and I know a little bit about this, been married 34 years, and there aren't many problems that you're going to have that we haven't experienced. I'm not saying we've experienced everything, but let's just put it, I, whatever we haven't experienced, let's just leave it alone, okay? I don't want to deal with that one either. But, but in, in our years of marriage, I can tell you there have been a couple of times when I have had to sit down and just be, usually it's been with the help of somebody else, a, a professional, and just be very authentic. Here's what I really think. Here's what I really feel. I want to tell you something. That's very painful at times. Especially, especially, and you're going to hear this again in a moment, especially when you fear rejection. Needlessly in my case, but it doesn't make the fear any less real. I I want to really deal with this. And it's going to be a little different this morning. Those of you who who are here on a fairly regular basis know that I'm fairly linear and I like boom, 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 boom and I, and I like doing things that way and, and I usually do things that way with, with my talks. Probably not going to do that as much this morning because I'm just, it's a combination of sharing with you from Scripture and then from my heart and things that I've experienced and things that I've seen other friends experience and, and, and try to help you in this area. Predominantly, we're going to talk about it in the, in the, in the confines of, a, of marriage. But if you're not married, and even if you are, don't leave it there. It can, it can go far beyond that in terms of application. So I don't want anybody leaving here who's not married saying, well, oh, pastor didn't talk to me, I'm not married. I'm still talking to you too, okay? Just for the record. I want to take you to a, a passage in the Bible. It's at the very beginning in Genesis. And, uh, I've, and in weeks past, I've visited these passages, a, f- a few of them from time to time. So for some of you, if you've been coming very regularly, you might recognize one or two verses. Some of you may not. That's fine, too. But I want to take you to that. And, and I, want you to, I, want you to, I want to make this statement before we start reading some passages of Scripture. It is the rare and fulfilled couple that practices authenticity by telling each other the truth, by not having lies or secrets that they can't tell the person who they're supposed to be the closest to in all the earth, their mate. The truth about their wants, about their needs, about their dreams, about their disappointments. And to be able to do so with complete knowledge that there will be acceptance. That's the rare couple. And yet it's a place that I desire for you to be because that's where we all need to be in our marriages. And even with some friends, if you're not married. I want to show you how this whole lack of authenticity, for lack of a better term, um, started. I want to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and just read to you and follow along with me a few verses there. Um, I'll be using the uh, New Living Translation at first, then I'll show you we'll make a deviation from that. This is Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, this is the creation story, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. And we're going to skip down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs, closed up the place from which he had taken it. Then the Lord God made woman, made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. Now watch this. You've got to get the Hebrew on this. And you, Here's Adam. At last! I mean, Adam's looking at her and he's going, Wow! I like this! I mean, that, that's really, that's the, that's the fervor here. 
of what's being communicated in the original. And here, I, I think the New Living, at last Adam explained. Whoa, baby. Man, she looks good. She's, uh, she, she, is, she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. The Hebrew came out of the same word. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, look out, neither of them felt any shame. It's because neither were overweight, right? No, I'm not, that's not true, no. No, we're not going there. <laughs> they both had these chiseled bodies, which they did, but this was original creation, Okay. So here's the issue. Here we have, we're we're not going to talk that much today. Two weeks we're talking about that desperate for intimacy. We're going to talk about that. Both There's many kinds, not just physical. We're going to talk more about that in in two weeks. But here we have intimacy, but we also have this this companionship, this togetherness, this this authenticity. Here we are. And part of the whole naked thing, it's not just trying to give you some sexual thing. It's part of it. It's part of it. But it's also to be naked emotionally. Here I am. There you are. Okay, and that's, that's, that's who we are. Okay? This is me. From an emotional standpoint, I want you to think about that as well. I, I, you know, no secrets now. Here I am and tell you everything. You know, we've, sometimes maybe you've said that. Here I'm, I am, figuratively speaking, naked before you telling you this. Okay? In a figurative sense. So that's what's going on here. This is original creation. This is before sin ever enters into the world. Before fallenness happens. This is really good stuff, okay? This is really good stuff. Now, we come to chapter 3. Okay, big trouble. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent, we've already got a problem, was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord had made. Really, he asked the woman? Did God really say you must not eat any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. Isn't it interesting? The first sin that's going to happen here in just a moment is appealing to somebody's pride. You'll know everything. He doesn't want you to know this. You'll know everything. And people get all kinds of weird crap on this, and they say it's some kind of a sexual thing. It was just pure, unadulterated pride. And this was the serpent, Satan, saying, you want to know everything. This is, the, this is for you. And, you know, you get this picture of this, you know, slick used car salesman. Oh, this is it, man. This is it. This is it. I'm sorry if you're in that business. I, I, don't, I don't mean that. And, and, and um, You're probably not like that. You're honest. But... Um, you get that impression, you know, hey, come on, come on, come on, you can do this, you can do this. He doesn't want you to know everything. You'll know everything. Come on, take a little bite. Well, keep reading here. It's the only fruit from the tree. You won't die. Verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened. Look what happens in verse 6. The woman was convinced. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious that it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. And we come down to verse 8. 
that toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Here's something they've never done before. So they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Which is a rhetorical question, of course. He knew that he had. This is called original sin from Genesis. What I want you to see, there's all kinds of things we could talk about here. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice the first thing that happens when sin comes into the world and, and our, our forefathers, so to speak, you want to call that, uh, and we won't get too deep into this, federal headship, whatever, you and I were there, so to speak, with Adam and Eve. We were there. You can't just say, well, I wouldn't have done it. You would have done it. I would have done it. We, we were there with them in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a federal headship type of way. They were, our, they were our, our forefathers and mothers, so to speak. So we were there and we fell. I mean, basically we fell as Adam and Eve did. It was all, it was all part of the whole fallen part of mankind. This is, these are the originators of mankind. So, but I want you to see the first thing that happens at that point. The first thing that happens when this sin enters the world. Sin missing the mark of what God had originally formed. What is it, the first thing that happens? What happens? They hide from God. Here's what I want you to see on that whole passage. And I took some time to, to read through it. Here, here are the basic consequences of what happened. For our, there are a lot of things, but this is one of the main consequences. It is because of this fallen condition. And I want you to see that. It is because of this fallen condition, sin, that we hide. And this is no more real than in the relationships with those closest to us. So it's because of this, this, this sin, nature, that all of us have, that we want to hide. We want to run. Not just from God, but from people. And we need to understand that. That's a part of the fallen condition of mankind. A tendency to hide. Let me give you an example or two. Maybe you can relate to some of these, because I think... Let's talk about it in the context of a home just for a moment. It doesn't have to be a home. It could be with a close friend. Something is wrong. And you're asked, what's wrong? And your response is, nothing is bothering me. That ever happened to you? What's wrong? Nothing. You know, you're like, okay. You're hiding. That's, 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 your, that's the sin nature that we all have coming up and coming out. Right? Hiding, not being authentic. Being someone you're not is a natural tendency. It's part of mankind's fallen condition. We say, I couldn't care less. You ever said that? You hear about somebody who did this or did that? I couldn't care less. But we do. And you, know, and you ever hear somebody do that? Three or four times. I couldn't care less. I don't care. I don't care. I, I just couldn't care less. You know, about three sentences, I say that. Ding, 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 ding. We have a problem here, okay. You do care, or you wouldn't be saying it so much. You know, thou protesteth too much. Um, we say, this happens often in marriage. You ever do this? Leave me alone. I remember that one time, long time ago. 
fact, before my wife became sanctified and wonderfully perfect in so many ways, so many ways. But I remember that one time years ago, and I was just learning things about marriage and before I know all that I know now, of course. And um, you believe that. Um, but I remember that. Leave me alone. I said, okay, and I left her alone. And I came back some time later, and she said, what? I said, you said leave me alone. She said, I didn't mean leave me alone. You know, I've done the same thing. We, that's part of that whole hiding thing. That's our natural tendency, not a good tendency, because of our fallen condition. So the next time, you know, that, that, this is obviously different than needing space or just, and, and there's a way you can do that and without an anger or without something else to be able to say, I need a little space. That's, that's a different deal than what we're talking about here. And I understand that. Um, truth is, you know, we, we are just not being authentic in many of these situations. We get into this little charade and we don't mean any of it. It's just part of the hiding process. And the low, down, dirty shame of the whole thing is, Marriages oftentimes develop a pattern like that, and they continue like that, of running and hiding. And then there's no, there's no intimacy. There's no authenticity. There's no sit-down sharing together. And, 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 and you end up living with a person that you don't really know that well. That's not the way God intended it. Okay? And, and, and that's not what marriage should be. And, and by the way, it's not much fun, just for the record. And usually it works that way. We get into things that God didn't intend, and, and, and it's, just, it's just not much fun. And instead of fulfillment, we find ourselves isolated, playing a role, or at least trying to become some kind of a role, something other than who we are. And, and, and many times, you know, we even take on a false identity. We even take on a false identity to the point where it's almost like a role that we're playing all the time. And then something happens traumatic and boom, everything starts crashing down and then we become our real self and, and then sometimes it's not good because it's in the ways that it has come about as opposed to being just authentic from the very beginning. So why do we do that? We're afraid of being rejected. That was one of my issues at one point, certainly. We, we want to hide our true selves because we're afraid we're not going to measure up. We're afraid we're not going to measure up to what, what a good husband or wife should be or what a good, if, if, we're, if we're people of faith, maybe we're, maybe we're this, and the church is horrible about this many times, church big C, uh, many times in, in, in creating what, what a good Christian husband or wife or person is supposed to be like and we fear not measuring up, so we play the stinking role. We play the stinking role, and then, and then it's not real. And, you know, we do all the right things. We don't do all the bad things. But inside, we're just being torn apart. There's this battle going on. That's not God, okay? That's man putting all kinds of crap on you that, you, that, that, that was never intended by God. And it's a horrible thing. And it happens so many times. And I'll tell you, at least in my background, it happens many times in those places that call themselves Christian. And so many times we reward and, and give great accolades to the, to the best role players and the people that are authentic. Sometimes we ostracize. And, you know, that's, that, that many times, many times is why, it sounds stupid, some of you will understand it, that many times is why some people find more camaraderie 
maybe in a bar or something like that than they do in a church because they're accepted for who they are. Whereas in a church, many churches, hopefully not this one, but I'm sure there, there are times when we go in that way, and I pray to God we don't. But many times because we think, you know, you've got to play this game, you've got to look a certain way, do certain things. And that's why we're so much about authenticity here. We want you to feel accepted for who you are and where you are. Now, where you are may not be a good place. You may, be, you may have some very destructive patterns. Well, that's not okay, but it's okay for you to be here. Maybe we can help, maybe we can but we're going to love you for who you are anyway, and, and you should hope, hopefully you're going to have some people around you, especially a maid if you're married, or close friends if you're not, and maybe even close friends if you are, who can help with that whole acceptance process. Uh, we're afraid we won't look just right. We're afraid we won't measure up. We're afraid we won't look like some good Christian is supposed to, so we become someone that we're not. And I know with my wife, when, I, when we sat down, Several years ago, and I just started telling her what some of my some of the things I was dealing with, some of the struggles I was having. And to this day, I don't know whether she was shocked or not. All I know is I received acceptance and love in return, and I was just so thankful. So now I'll just tell her anything. Here's what you know. Here's what's going on. Sometimes things that aren't that good. And she won't roll her eyes because we've had several discussions about that. What is it about women in that eye roll? What is that thing? I can't find it anywhere in the scripture. I, 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 I believe it's got to be some kind of a sin thing. I just believe it has to be. But we, we fi- I finally told her, you know what that does to me, honey? When you roll the eyes? It just makes me feel like the, the, the dirty little bad boy back in third grade, you know? Which maybe I am, okay? But I don't really want to hear that from my wife at this point in time. So anyway, we, we've had those discussions to the point of where we can, okay, and still be authentic about that. Now, that doesn't mean she can't tell me what she thinks if it's not, if I'm in a place where I shouldn't be, because you've got to be able to do that too. What's a cure? Got a cure for you. All right? One, two, three. No, not doing it. I, I, it's a very simple cure. It's, it's New Testament. I won't take you there. It's, it's, it's the book of Ephesians. It's the Apostle Paul writing this to the believers at Ephesus. And, um, and this is so good. Let me just show you. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter um, 4. And I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 22. All right, here it is. Since then, talking to believers now, followers of Christ. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and, I, and this, is, this is the message, by the way. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then... Take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside. This is the gospel, people. This is the gospel. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Sometimes people say to me, sometimes you don't, you don't, you don't give the gospel. That's the gospel. God working in me. Me, me realizing that I'm just a sinner. Um, we could go on with that and put some adjectives in there, but you don't need to hear that. Just realize that I'm just a sinner and I need God. And acknowledging that and just saying, Jesus, help me. Whether that's a prayer or whether that's a moment in your belief that you just uh, give your, gave your trust to Christ or, or whether that's something else, doesn't matter. As long as you're trusting in God and in Christ. 
in, in, in however way you can. And that's what it is. He says, the old life has got to go. Get rid of it. Take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. Read that again, verse 23. A life, I love this, renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. It's God working in you. That is just so cool. I love that. I've seen that. I've experienced that. And sometimes it's, it's you just... Sometimes you respond the right way to a situation and you kind of step back and you're like, wow, I responded the right way. God's doing it. I didn't want to tell that person where they could, you know, spend the rest of their eternity. And, and, and then you realize God's doing some cool things in me. Don't always do that because we're still in process. That's the issue here. Keep reading verse 25. What this adds up to then is this. Watch. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. By the way, your neighbor, if you're with your mate, let me introduce you to your neighbor, okay? That's your first neighbor. You got many more, but that's, that's one cool one right there. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, watch this. This is so good. This is why I got the message translation. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. When you start playing some role of some, someone that you're not, you're lying to yourself. And let me tell you something. The person in all of their sin and degradation who's honest before God, and that there's many examples of this, of this in the Scripture, is more honorable, more acceptable, more commended by God than the person who puts on airs and tries to act the right way. Give me the low-down, authentic person with all the problems every day of the week. Be authentic. Okay? Be who you are. Don't spin. Don't try to twist your words. Try to twist who you are or what you are. Try to be something. Just be who you are. The core person of who God made you to be. Be honest with those that are closest to you. Just be honest. Here I am. You know, I don't know who all those people are, but I know who one, if you're married, I know who one of them should be. That'd be the person you're committed to living the rest of your life with. And you know, and I just want to close with this. There's, there's a, just thank God that he knows all this. One of the great things that helps me is to realize, you know what? God loves me for who I am. God loved me from the time I was born. And he knew ahead of time all the junk I would get into, some of the stuff I would do that would just not be very pleasing to him. And he still loved me and he still accepted me in who I am. Not because of what I could be, not because of what I might be, not if I didn't do this, but just for who I am. And in all this, somewhere in there, we have to just be thankful to God. God, thank you that you love me for who I am. Now, number one, help me just to be that person. Granted, there are going to be improvements if, I'm, if that process is working inside of me that we talked about here, that, that life renewed from the inside there in verse uh, 23 that we talked about. There's going to be good stuff going on, but it's, it be, be, be thankful to God that you're there. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, this is a little homework. 
Maybe you need to sit down with your mate. If you're not married, one of those, some of those, one or two of those very close people, and just talk about it. Do you think I'm authentic? Am I, do, you ever, do I ever try to project something that I'm really not? Am I trying to pull the wool over people's eyes? Do you ever wonder what I really think and what I really feel? Let's talk about that. You talk about that with your mate, close friend. And it's not for everybody. That's not a discussion for everybody. It's a discussion for those closest to you. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your love and for your grace. Gosh, Lord, you, you have shown us acceptance and love, and you've shown us everything for who we are, and we don't deserve any of it. But then, then we never did. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus came and suffered and died and went to the tomb and rose again to give us new life and give us the ability to have a relationship with you and never, never flinched at accepting who we are in all of our shame or glory. And we're thankful for that, that you love us no matter what. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus and the the truth of having a relationship with our creator. And we give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.